Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of The Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about homebrews, is that right? Yes, homebrews for the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And what year did that come out? Oh, 85. And why do we still care about that? Because we still make games for it. <laughs> That's a better answer than I was going to give. All right, so this podcast is going to... Well, we're going to try to have some sort of structure here, but we're going to try to focus on one game a week. Is that right? Uh, an episode. I don't know if I can keep this up every week. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. An episode. Let me uh, let me slow down here. So what do we uh, what do we have this week? What game? Uh, this week we're going to discuss Battle Kid, but for, first, uh, who who are we? Oh, I guess that's important. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but... You want to go first or what? Oh, okay. Uh, I, not really, but I will. Uh, so uh, my name is... Uh, Bo, I run Soul Goose Productions. Uh, we make, well, just like my partner here, we both make uh, new games for the NES. And I have done, oh, I just did a Kickstarter that just finished up that was called Spookatron. That's probably what most people know me for. I've also released a couple other games, Zero to X and Swords and Runes, uh, which were programmed by another fellow, but then I helped get to market. Uh, so I sort of deal with, a lot of the publishing aspects, but also do programming myself. Uh, Mr. Hanley? Uh, I am Kevin Hanley. I run a company called Khan Games. Um, I have been making games since uh, 2009. Um, I've released a few games. I think I'm probably best known for uh, Larry, which was a NES port of the original Leisure Suit Larry, and maybe uh, my Frogger, Ultimate Frogger Champion port, and um, maybe The Incident, which is a, a box-pushing puzzle game. Um, yeah, I've, I have started out doing music, um, sort of transitioned into programming, and uh, I do graphics when I have to, but I try not to because I think everyone would appreciate if better people did graphics. Kevin has also done a lot of packaging and other sort of administrative things within the scene. He has done actually all of my design and layout for boxes, manuals, and all that. Somehow he got conned into it, because that's how <laughs> people mispronounce his name. We should just end the podcast right there with that joke. Yeah. Done. Okay, so um, do we want to talk about what a homebrew actually is and isn't? I do. <laughs> I really I, I assumed you did. <laughs> So that, there's a lot of confusion among people about what is a homebrew. You'll see it if you go to eBay and you type in NES homebrew, you'll find all sorts of stuff. And not all of that is perhaps technically a homebrew. It's like when you go, when you type in uh, Little Samson, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go find a Little Samson for cheap, and you organize the prices, and you get a 10-yard fight that pops up 50 times, and it says in the title, not Little Samson. <laughs> There's just, a, you know, it's a sales pitch. Right. So what is a homebrew? Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick some uh, some games that you may or may not have heard of, okay. and Kevin's going to tell us sort of what they are. Uh, oh, you're going to quiz me? I kind of am, yes. And then you can, so like, let's, let's do it. Uh, let's do Zelda Outlands. Zelda Outlands? I would uh, consider that a hack. A hack. And why? what is a hack and why? Uh, because they took an existing game, uh, the original Legend of Zelda, and actually edited 
uh, graphics and you know in a hex editor to sort of change things up. It wasn't uh, it wasn't started from the ground up in Notepad. I don't know for lack of a better description. Okay, so it wasn't an original. It was an, a hack of an existing uh, string of code. Yes. Okay. Is well, that right? Yeah, that's what I'd say, uh, which is exactly, All right. exactly what happens with one a hack. One. But you will often find them thrown around that these are homebrews. Somebody made them. Somebody brewed them. Somebody whatever. But they have actually just hacked code. And so when these get cartridge, cartridge, they're normally called reproductions or repros. Let's pick another. But uh, what are they not? What are they? They homebrews. are not homebrews. <laughs> so let's pick another one. Let's pick uh, Final Fantasy V, which is a Super Nintendo game or a Super Famicom game. Uh, are you familiar with that one, Kevin? Uh, I'm not, but I'm going to go with reproduction. And more specifically, was it actually called, released? Uh, fan translation. Okay. So in this one, somebody, so it was released. Okay. Yeah. So somebody, a uh, team, a very wonderful majestic team because I just beat the game and could not have done that without these awesome people they took the game edited the code, translated the text re-put it all back together had to expand a bunch of things takes a great deal of talent same with hacks, they take a ton of but they're still editing an existing bit of code yeah and, and let's just clarify up front we're not trying to discount the efforts of people who go through all the the effort of you know hacking these games into into sometimes wonderful creations um we're just trying to simply explain the differences just so because people in this scene are a little bit uh we're sticklers i'd say of, of our terminologies so um we like to be considered homebrews, and we are very quick to call out when something is not a homebrew. <laughs> well, no, if you were if you were playing music and you were doing covers or doing original works, you'd want somebody to know which you were doing. Otherwise, your original work. That's oh, and actually, a really good comparison. That's just a Beatles song, right? No, no, I'm sort of created that. Uh, might sound like it, might sort of look like it, but it's from uh, my own noodle. If here. you can sound like a Beatles song, I think you're doing pretty well. And there's a lot of uh, geriatrics who'd be all over that. <laughs> so another one let's pick uh actually right. let's pick one of yours here uh, let's go with uh, leisure suit larry uh are we going with the nes version of leisure suit yeah, larry tell me what it is what is it where would you put that in the category? uh that is a homebrew i mean it, it's 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 a port but it's since i started from scratch you know i redrew all the graphics pixel by pixel and started coding from scratch so it is it fact a homebrew you couldn't just take uh take the apple code and dump it into something and it spits out an nes game uh no it's not quite that easy no, no it's not <laughs> and so with stuff like that even even the larry uh the pitfall port has a bunch of changes to it but even if you did a straight one-to-one as much as possible port, you're still going to have to do a bunch of creative rotations the code yeah because uh screen resolutions are different like if you go from atari to nes or uh sega master system yeah i mean the screen resolution the the nes has its own sort of stipulations and and rules that you have to follow so you know stuff that was released on other systems and pc i mean it, it just it won't immediately translate to nes without uh some changes there is nothing nothing like the nes architecture out there uh, which is pretty amazing and that's probably why we love it yeah that is definitely why i love it but uh anyways let's uh <laughs> oh so what is a homebrew then okay uh i i think i defined it earlier but let's hear your interpretation of it 
Oh no, I didn't have much to add. It's 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 a game program from scratch, uh, ground up. You know, you could take graphics, you could take whatever. You still have to adapt it and make it work with all new code. And so most of us, we we might borrow a little bit of code here and there from the Nerdy Knights tutorials done by a man named Brian Parker or Bunny Boy, as he's known around line. Or certain Nestev forums they have, but for the most part, you're programming it all from the ground up uh, using tools like Notepad or Notepad++. You don't have to. All the tools are free and pretty basic for NES programming, but you still have to do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. And perhaps because of that. Yeah, um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, um, and people often, you know, they just assume that we can take something from another system and, and magically make it work. You know, I, I, when I first started, I would get messages all the time from, from people on Facebook or, or PMs on Nintendo age, um, asking me, you know, Hey, take this arcade game, you know, just, just rip the graphics and, and make it in, on the NES, you know, it, you know, it can't be that hard. Right. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> mm, oh, so that's is. why you started that thread over on Nintendo age. Uh, that's exactly why I started that thread because P- we were getting so many threads started because because there was that time period where a lot of those flash games started pop- popping up, um, and it's been a few years, so I don't remember you know any specific names for any of these games, but um, they were just coming out left and right, and people just assumed that we could, I don't know, take the flash code and and pop it on an NES cartridge and and start playing it on the system, and it's like, it's that's not the way it works. I mean, I wish it was because there would be tons of awesome games that we could play on the NES. Um, and there are because people like you and I have busted our asses. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember two of the big ones were Mega Man 9 and Mega Man 10. Everybody was like, oh, we'll just put it on an NES. It looks just like it should be on there, right? Yeah. Look closer. <laughs> they're, they're using a there lot more than three colors. Thread after thread about why that wasn't possible. So this is part of the reason why we are quick to distinguish what's what. Because when people ask us, can you do that? Can you do that? Can you do that? Like, it's, it's a bigger question than they often realize. But anyways, let's look at a homebrew. Uh, we have, at this point in the scene, the scene has seen cartridge releases for 12 years. And games were being made wow. in the late 90s, early 2000s. So 12 years now of actual on-cartridge official releases by individuals. And people still can't get the terminology right. No, of course not. As some people just don't <laughs> care. And even some people that, you know, there's the side of like, you put something on eBay and you want to attract attention, so you call it certain things. But even some homebrewers don't care. They just make games. But when you ask them, so is what you made the same as this guy who burned a ROM onto a cartridge from a hack, and you're, they're like, no, that's not... We do something completely different, but they don't want to call it mm-hmm. and make those uh, distinctions. So one of the most famous homebrews uh, to date is called Battle Kid, Tris of Peril, and it came out in 2010. Would you go so far as to say it is the most famous homebrew? Yes. Hands down, yes. It's uh, one I've seen little kids... When, when we were working in Portland, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo... And we were working for mm-hmm. the, uh, the Retro USB booth. There were little kids, like teenagers, like t- 10, 11, 12-year-olds walking up going, Oh, look, Battle Kid, Battle Kid. I'm like, how do you know what Battle Kid is? They know. I, for yeah, some reason, it's crazy. I don't know. It penetrated the internet pretty well, and which is not exactly my well, scene. The internet and, and beyond. I mean, I, I remember hearing um, stories of people going to Japan to visit, and they would actually see like 
Battle Kid for sale in these stores with, you know, posters and stuff advertising it. It's it's kind of crazy how uh, it almost took on a life. And of was its it own. the first homebrew, though? Was it the first homebrew? No. Yeah, God, exactly. No. But it's still it's it's hit that stature of like this is one of the most famous ones for a variety of reasons. And I guess we should start with a yeah. bit of the history about it. And so Battle Kid was started uh, by a guy named, is it Sivak or Sivak? I've never been clear. I wasn't around. I, th- I used to call him Sivak, but I believe it was clarified to be Sivak. Okay, so Sivak started this back in 2008. Uh, October 10th of 2008, we find a thread talking about, talking about, hey, I think I want to make a game. Three games, which was sort of a, which was Simon clone, Geminim, which was sort of a... Oh, the gem, oh, it is, is it gems? gems? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously enough, it's gems. And then there's Mystic's Pillars, which is sorry the, golly, what's that, Columns uh, from Genesis. So we did some yeah. ports first, because when you do a port, even though you have to be very creative, you don't have to come up with everything from scratch. You can sort of, you know, take basic gameplay, you can do things like that. Even some of the art, you can sort of pattern. yeah. The games all they already have their their rules set up, so it's it's almost easier. You don't have to make a lot of decisions on on how exactly the gameplay is going to yeah, go. Yeah. So in 2010, he begins this platformer, which is a huge deal because up to that point in the scene, there hadn't been any platformers really that were of substantial length, at least that were finished and actually released. And so it was inspired by the Flash game "I Want to Be the Guy," which was a one-hit instant death just brutally hard it isn't any fun please don't play it type game if i had to if i had to pick a genre uh, well, apparently that's you're in my opinions but uh, apparently some people liked it well even even people that liked battle kid were like i don't like this other game and so they would play it you can watch flash videos of it if you're not good at that type of game like me and you can sort of see it's like wow this is sort of cool but man that's very painful uh, which is fine which is saying something because battle kid is hard Later in March, uh, next year, or I guess that would have been, yeah, it was, uh, come up, he was searching for names, came out with uh, Microvania, Fortress Apparel, so that's the first time we see the Fortress Apparel thing, and then... Where was he uh, coming up with the names? Was he actually asking on yeah, Nintendo Age So the ideas? Nintendo Age forums have played a central in the homebrew scene, especially after 2007 or so. The first... Uh, homebrew cartridge release was done on Ness World, and it was done by Memblers, uh, Membler Industries, and he released it there, and that got a certain crowd. It actually got a lot of Nintendo Age people, but starting in about 2007 with Al Bailey's Sudoku, uh, not a port, it was original, mm-hmm. just Sudoku. Everybody knows sort of what that is. That's where we started to see a lot of releases on Nintendo Age, and there were also a lot of reproductions, unreleased prototypes, fan translations, uh, Retro USB was uh, doing a lot of prototypes, things like that. So, uh, yeah, this uh, Jordan, so I'm, ra- I'm writing a book about the homebrew scene currently, and one of the most fascinating things to me on the research side is that every single homebrewer sort of way of doing things they create their own material witness gradual game gradual games uh derek that fellow he keeps journals they're hundreds of pages long i think the anomalous one was 700 pages kevin hanley who i'm currently talking to he i keep nothing <laughs> he runs if you look through the website you don't find a material witness but if you know where to look to see it but i'll let you see it 
And he actually runs extensive 100 post long beta tests where every aspect of the game is worked out. <laughs> uh, Frank Westfall sort of did the same with he uh, did Armed for Battle and uh, Julius has run beta testing. He did Super Bat Puncher. Who am I missing? I'm missing somebody big here. The point of that is uh, we apologize. Civac. We apologize if it's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Your games are very important. However, yes, we care about I, you a lot. I have very few notes right now. <laughs> um, but Civac did his means of developing a game was to do it all publicly, or at least most of it publicly. So he would ask questions, and some people nowadays we usually confine it to like one thread that'll be hundreds of posts long talking about all these different aspects of a game and you know what's developing. Bread bread posts for everything back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. He has hundreds. Yeah, and that bugged the shit out of me. I. <laughs> At the time, I guess I can admit this now, and I might have admitted it during those posts because he and I never really got along. But um, yeah, it, it it I couldn't believe you know what I'd sign in and he would have another freaking thread about this stupid game he's working on, and it just bugged the crap out of me because I don't know. It's like how much attention do you need to bring to yourself to make this dang game? But of course, now my foot's in my mouth because it turned out to be the greatest homebrew, you know, of to current, you know, current date. Um, yeah, more or less. That, well, in ways. Uh, but so <laughs> there were. But I don't have to be happy about. No, it. you don't. But there were thread posts, everything. Uh, what should I name this single enemy? What should I name the title? What should I name the title again? Wait, what should I name the title again? Which is sort of, it's its really uh, interesting for me to watch. The, the community as a whole just came together and weighed in on some of these issues that were so minute, but yet you'd get ten different mm-hmm. names for what this thing with an eye that shoots something should be called. And the only place you're going to see what it's called is in the manual that nobody reads. Which is... Well, I mean, that's how games were back yeah, then, Yeah, right? but I mean, to devote that much attention and that much thought, I really, I appreciate that, I, and I like it, because yeah. it shows so much thought behind everything. Um. And it's funny, like, um, you know, thinking about it now, like, knowing how substantial the game was to, you know, both the homebrew, you know, the history of NES homebrew and just the game itself, like, at the time, it, it seemed so trivial and ridiculous, but... Um, it's pretty substantial. I mean, you could have had the ability to name the game that is the game of NES Homebrew right now. It's it's crazy to think about. In well, hindsight. that's one of the greatest parts about the scene as a whole. Most of us have incorporated a very high level of feedback, whether through private beta testing or public uh, solicitation criticism. It's a very you can have a role in the scene if you want to. I remember uh, two thousand. Fourteen. I'd been programming about a year, and uh, thanks to a couple people, one of whom I'm currently talking with, they had sort of shown me the ropes, but I hadn't ever, and I always wanted to do this thing called beta testing. Everybody was like, oh, well, we're having a beta test, and I'd be like, oh, can I get in on that? And they'd be like, no, nah, the door's kind of closed, we're sorry. But then this guy... <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, pretty much. And then Frank, uh, who did Arm for Battle, he asked... Or he just posted a ROM and was like, hey, here's this. And I, I played it. And I played it to death. And then I started sending him page after page after page. of at the end of it, he was like... You? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that was me. <laughs> so you can find my name. And at first it was Arch, Nathan. He was uh, he was doing some stuff. And then he got busy with life, I think. He had a kid or something like that. I guess that takes some time. And... I was kind of left just doing all the testing for Frank and giving him all this feedback. And then through that process, I was telling him, you know, 
well, I don't know if this feature works very well, or I don't know if that feature works very well, or I found ways to beat the game, like just easy. Just you know, I can demolish an army every time with this. Then every build, so I couldn't do that anymore, and it was very infuriating. But the direct level of feedback was, you know, incorporated. It just takes that one or two people that show interest to really change the course of a game. And in the case of Battle Kid, there wasn't like one or two people. There was like 50 to 100. Like the whole community came out to support this thing because it was a platformer. Right, and that gets people excited. People like platformers, I hear. They do. (laughs) Now, back to Frank real quick. Um, Where did he post his his original ROM to, to sort of get out posted, the word right, on Posted it. Nintendo Age. I think it was in January or February of 2014. He was just like, here's what I have going on. Now, being there at that time, you know, pretty active in the brewery, I don't recall seeing him a lot before he posted that thread. Was was he around before then, or did he kind of come uh, out of nowhere? He'd been on Nintendo Age since, I think, 2007, and he'd mostly posted about But was he like a presence? No, he, he's still not a presence. He he posts when he needs to, and then he goes and does his thing and comes back and posts. And With Arm for Battle, though, he he had a pretty active uh, thread going. It was several hundred posts long and really incorporated a lot of uh, updates and things. So you were actually Super around. Super nice guy, too. Ah, oh, Frank's wonderful. Goodness. Uh, it's it's funny, um, you know, being in the scene as long as, you know, we have, we've, we've had the pleasure of meeting, you know, quite a quite a number of of the developers in the community and and he's definitely uh, up there on the on the nice scale yes i stayed at his house like two months ago it's it's, it's just a wonderful man and just uh most people are very humble they're very welcoming and they really find it odd when people are genuinely at least personally i find this all very interesting which is part of the reason why we're here well, you uh, you take it a, a a step further. I mean, you oh. you you enjoy the games, but but a, a a history you know sort of you know person who studies this kind of stuff in in depth. I think uh, you really take it uh, you know as far as you can on different levels. Ah, oh, I study it because I like it though, and the the people are great, and that's kind of kind of why I do it. But anyways. I was not around. I've not been around as long as you. You were around back in the Battle Kid days. When I showed up in 2013, Battle Kid 2 was being released. Like, I'd already missed everything. Oh, wow. So what was the scene like back then? Uh, It was a lot smaller, I think. Um, You know, after Sudoku came out, and I think Brian released his Nerdy Nights tutorials pretty quickly after that. It, it It was definitely 2007. Uh, that Nerdy Nights tutorials came out. And I think that sort of, that might have single-handedly like shaped the community into what it is today. At least, you know, got as many people interested in in being able to do it uh, as possible. Um, But yeah, back then it was a lot smaller and I don't know, every post felt substantial. Um, Now it's, it's really easy because it's, it's easy to get buried because like there's so many games coming out now I mean, right now there are, you know, two or three on Kickstarter alone. Um, it's it's crazy how how much it's grown. But yeah, back then it seemed and I, I assume it's it's the same as, you know, when you talk to your grandfather and he talks about the old days old when man. you know, no one locked their doors and you could go out on your porch and and talk to your neighbor in the morning and things were just a lot slower back then. Um, back back in the Battle Kid days when it was in development and, and coming out, yeah, it was a lot uh, a lot smaller. Everyone knew everyone, and um, 
I don't know. It was a good time. And I might be looking at it through rose-colored glasses or goggles or whatever the saying is, but uh, it was a, it was a good time for sure. We still all know each other pretty much, but uh, I, I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah, but more and more people are sort of coming out of nowhere, and it's like, you know, people sign up to Nintendo Age, and their first post is, hey, I finished this game, check it out. And it's like, where where have you been? Like, who are you? It's just crazy. There's, ah, there's so many of us to get now. to know. It's fun. And we have actually seen quite a few, quite a few Get off my lawn, man. Uh, two, my own, and then a guy named Glutok or Antoine. His Twin Dragons one just ended, and then which I need to pay for still. Oops. And Eskimo Bob is and Lizard. about to end. Oh, that was like two years ago. That's that's old news. Yeah, but I mean. If we're talking about how Kickstarter is oh, sort of yeah. helping well, us get, two, get our games right out, now, so I, I figured I should clear that up. Okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that's what you're clarifying. Oh yeah, sorry. Anyway, uh, uh, what was the what was the significance of a platformer being done? Uh, up until then, there'd been Sudoku and a couple other like puzzle-based games, but yeah, arcadey type games or puzzle-based games, but no one, I don't think anyone had released anything that substantial as far as like in-depth you know story story-based gameplay you know boss fights um battle kit sort of had it all and and you know people who grew up loving games like Mega Man um you know these single screen sort of non-scrolling platformers um it was it 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 you know it scratched them right where they itched cuz it was it was sort of a someone who considers themselves to be a really good platform gamer it it was it was a godsend for them because each screen you could you could memorize and, and each screen presented a new challenge and and you know for someone like me it's it's a little beyond my uh my the capabilities of me you know being able to be be good at it but uh a lot of people took to it and i mean the sales numbers sort of speak for themselves which is saying something that you're not good at it but uh you do hold the world records in at least one game i believe <laughs> yeah but i mean they aren't platformers no, let's not. be honest <laughs> so when you say that battle kid was huge uh, there are over 550 rooms eight bosses over 30 different types of enemies there's items all along the way it's a giant for lack of a better word, people, uh, even though people uh, even will definitely contest the existence of that term, it exists, people. It exists. Yeah. Uh, just deal with it. And it's funny because um, when I was preparing for this podcast and I I pulled up sort of the the soundtrack for it, I couldn't believe the amount of music that's in this game. Like, and I you know we'll get into this a little later on about how how good of a musician he clearly is because there are there are some some of the people in the homebrew community who sort of do it all and they are damn good at doing it all but um there are 32 music tracks in this game it's it's insane how much music is in this game so i mean that just shows you right there how sort of massive this game was in scale that is one of the neat things about the homebrew scene as a whole is that one person can do it all themselves that variety of skills Uh, there's been quite a few people who have done music graphics coding gameplay design everything even package art uh or packaging art right and i mean there there are it it is it's easy i mean it maybe not easy but it's accessible to sort of you know be a, a dilettante and sort of do it all but to find someone that is this good at doing it all um it's it's rare um, and I think, uh, 
you know, Jordan Sivak is definitely one of them. Uh, Brad Smith, who's doing Lizard, his music, very, very good. Um, Shiru, I mean, there are people who who are just extremely talented at at doing it all, and it's it's I, it's it's hard to explain how good it really is because unless you know, unless you've really studied you know, music or art or whatever, you, you might not be able to truly appreciate, you know, on, on what level this stuff is. But um, Battle Kid, I mean, there's a reason why it's the most popular homebrew and, and he really sort of struck gold with with his sort of combination of amazing music, um, amazing graphics. And uh, he was clearly a good coder because I don't, I don't recall hearing too much. I think there was a bug when it first came out um, where he had to release a version... 1.01 or something but uh, other than that i mean it it's a solid game super solid december 15th of 2007 he asked about what does it take to make an nes game and bunny or somebody else replied, oh really yeah bunny or somebody else replied uh the nerdy nights are underway wait for the next week and they were at like week seven waiting on week eight if i have that right i need to double check but he said something okay. like well i don't want to make and within, <laughs> you know, within three years, he's making a full-scale platformer, uh, which still has not really been done in the seven years he's since it came out, except Battle Kid 2. Isn't that crazy? Like, he did this, you know, so early on in in the scene sort of history, and and it's yet to sort of be surpassed in its vast scale we're of course and, forgetting a key, you know, it's crazy we're forgetting a key game but we'll get to that i think one of these other weeks with the mad wizard oh okay yeah for sure I, <laughs> now i love that game <laughs> I, can, I can tell your excitement already because it's the same as mine yeah. which rob is another one oh, who does man, kind of love kind rob. of everything uh true yes. true master of his craft but we were talking about battle kid this week so yeah. we gotta stay focused here <laughs> and so that's a bit of the history behind it it sort of came I mean, it's a natural progression when you look at a couple quick puzzle games over a few months' time, some cartridge releases, because it's not just about making, it's not just about the programming. Going through the whole process of coding it or editing and publishing and publishing a game takes almost as much time at times. So he's gone, he went through all of that within a few short months. Battle Kid went from kind of a random idea in October of one year to a full release in february of the year after so that's five months no no no, no. Uh, the year after so there'd be like a year and five months oh okay that that, was... that makes me feel less bad about myself oh, oh always uh, <laughs> about to quit the podcast yeah just just give up now it's not happening just go hang it was, up yeah but that was till it was actually like being shipped and sold so there was there was a lot of stuff in between anyways let's what is Battle Kid when you go to play it? Do you have? Can you give us sort of? We don't have a video. We don't have pictures. Can you give me some sort of description of it, Kevin? Uh, so a platformer. I'm sure most of the people listening would know is, you know, you control a character, and typically in a platformer, you can press a button and make him jump, and he can jump to various sort of platforms. Uh, on the screen, um, usually, you know, housing some sort of enemy or, or something to where you're, you know, having to jump around to get to different parts of the screen to, you know, beat each subsequent screen. Um, and in this game, at least, um, it's separated by worlds. 
uh, and each, well, I think he crawls some areas, um, and each area sort of has uh, a boss at the end. Um, and in this specific game, you go around getting different power-ups um, that allow you to um, take, you know, more hits or, you know, open up different parts of the map or open up uh, teleports or something like that. Um, I don't know. Is that is that what you were asking? No, that's way, way more basic than I was asking, but thank oh, you. Oh, okay. Then go ahead. You explain then. Platformer is. Um, but well, you know, if you had maybe, to describe it, maybe my mom's listening. You don't know. Oh, that's true. That's true. You just swore though a little bit ago. Well, she'll ground me. Um. Yeah. So you actually mentioned one of the thing. One of the key defining features of it earlier was that it is not scrolling like Mega Man or Mario. It is single screen. So what does that do for the game? Right. Um. Well, from a from a gameplay perspective or from a programming perspective? Ah, you pick. I hadn't thought of that. Go for it. I don't know. I think when you're designing a single screen sort of platformer, you almost have to be more creative in, in your enemy placement and uh, sort of puzzle, you know puzzle placement i don't i don't really know what you're that's awesome uh i think that's that's one of the key things that came out from people's experiences of playing the game is that it's not a platformer like Mega Man or mario it's it's a puzzle game every single room every single screen is it's puzzle there's a puzzle there's a way around it there's a way to get through it and there's a couple ways usually but you have to take each screen as its own little area because that's all you get. And so when you're playing it, and there's a lot of save points, and you will die a lot. Whatever that that death well, music is. I don't know if a lot I don't know if a lot of save points is the right term. It, there never seems to be enough when you're actually playing the game. <laughs> oh, I wish it saved every room, but you know, if it saves every <laughs> ten or fifteen rooms, at least you have a point of reference. Because there's usually a few easy rooms thrown in and there's some harder rooms. Yeah. But you can map every you you die so often that you end up playing the same screen so many times. But by the end of it, you're flying through it. You know every jump. And you know every. To that to that point, um, I don't have an exact quote in front of me here, but I recall um, Jordan saying that when, you know, when he was making this game, I think he's a, a little bit of a speedrunner himself. Yes. I know he was really good at the Mega Man games, um, but he actually designed a lot of these rooms to where if you just run and know exactly you know where to jump the enemy projectiles will miss you if if you know exactly what you're doing and running full speed and you see that once you i mean as much as i hate that type of gameplay but when you have to sit there and play the same screen over and over you figure out i can just blow through this i can just run here 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 and here i don't even have to kill these things i just jump right over them next screen done yep and there is some satisfaction in that as as much crap as i give the game for being hard um, when you've gotten to the point where you can breeze through something that was tripping you up to begin with, it's it's pretty it's a pretty good. Feeling. I'm not gonna lie, I get no satisfaction out of getting to the next save point. It's just like, <laughs> all right, well, there's one more. What's the next thing that's gonna kill me? Where's it at? Which is fine. Like that's one person's interpretation of what fun is, and it's not my type of fun. But appreciate the fact that it's somebody's type of fun because he made it. Yeah, um, I actually I haven't uh, I haven't told anyone this. It's oh, it's no. I'm actually revealing this for the first time on this do podcast. We have confession. Um, we do. Oh. Well, I'll I'll add some music here, some really good you know piano music. <laughs> um, before Battle Kid came out, 
I had a full head of hair. Oh, wow. Yeah, this game made me bald, single-handedly. Well, I don't know if that's what made him bald, but you know. <laughs> it's between you and me. All right, let's move on. We 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 are rocking the... We bald in various ways, all of us. Is that a metaphor for life? Yeah. I don't know. So do you find the game to be fun, I guess? Uh, we, we've just harped on kind of its death toll and some of the things we don't really care for. But we also talked about how great the music is and how great the graphics are. Or did we? I don't know, but we should. Yeah, we definitely should. Um, is the game fun? Um, this is a tough question because I don't think you and I are platformer guys. Oh, how dare you, um, sir? How dare you? Are you a platformer guy? No, but I do like some of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly play RPGs. We'll just get that out in the open. Right. Clearly, you make a new thread every week like, oh, what are your favorite SRPGs? It's like you just put a letter before RPG That's every other week, RPG. and I never know what you're talking you about. Wanna, did you want a like, well, TRPG, a tactical RPG? Did you want a JRPG? What about a, w, uh, what about a WRPG? Are we going down this rabbit hole? Not yet. We'll go down this next week. <laughs> All right, but back to, back to the subject at hand. Um, there was some enjoyment that I got out of the game. Um, it got uh, it got hard fast, uh, giggity. I mean, if you want to say that. Um, but I I think you know learning the different and I actually got pretty far in the game. I think I beat three or four bosses. Maybe I think four actually. Um, I did give it some pretty good time, you know, when it first came out, but I don't know, like when you get to the point where you're wanting to throw the controller, um, I just think that's too much. You know, you gotta, you gotta scale it back for people like Kevin. Which is why you don't play games like Bayou Billy, I guess, uh, which neither do I. I have never played that game, so I, I, I guess I'll just keep that on the shelf. I was reading about it as one of Jordan's influences for the, uh, for this game. Oh, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Uh, which another interesting yeah. thing was one of his inspiring things to make games for the NES was Al Bailey's Sudoku 2007. Uh, seeing no kidding. seeing a game put onto a cartridge and somebody being able to make a new game from scratch caused him to learn to program. He'd already had some assembly language classes and things like that, but without somebody else sort of blazing the trail and leading the way by example, we would not have seen Battle Kit at all. That is really interesting. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I didn't know that. So I'm glad that we sort of did this podcast because I'm learning along with everyone else. Well, who are you inspired by? Who am I inspired by? Uh, Were back when you got into it. Back in 2000 and what? No, 98. No. <laughs> 2009? Well, I probably started learning in 2008. Um, I think... I think that you can put me into that same camp. I mean, knowing, you know, seeing what Al did with Sudoku and seeing him be able to release something he made like on a cartridge and people were buying it and people were playing it and people were discussing it. Um, I just, I, I never knew that that could even be a possibility beforehand. So um, yeah, I, I totally understand where, he got the bug of, of wanting to, you know, sort of go down this, this path of, of making your own games. Cause there really is no greater satisfaction than, than seeing someone sitting down and truly enjoying something that you put months and months and months of time into making, because, you know, I don't want to get too much into this, but there are, you know, collectors who, 
who just want to buy everything and they stick it on their shelf and they may never even open the game. You know, it's just a number to them. But but to see someone with the joy in their eyes, the same sort of joy that you had growing up when you were, you know, fighting Rocksteady and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, it's, it's just so much fun um, and it's rewarding, man, seeing someone enjoy it. Interesting, because to me, as somebody who came a few years later, it was you and actually Battle Kid Two coming out that influenced me to, you know, pick up the NES and make games for it. Uh, so it's it's funny how we all influence each other, and it all comes sort of back around at a certain level. It's really bizarre hearing that I influence someone to make games, like, because because when you're you know, I mean, it's when you're making this stuff. I mean, me personally, anyway, like. I'm just doing it because I really want to do it, you know, one to see if I can. And two, like, it's just, it's so much fun to do. You don't think about sort of the impact you're going to have, um, on, on a community. Like it's crazy to, to hear that someone made games because they are inspired by something I did. It's, it's, it's awesome. Of course, you it's, still haven't, you still haven't released the game that I was inspired by. We'll, we'll get to well, that some other day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not my fault though let's be honest my my part of it's done well, yeah, well, come on let me cast some stones uh, here no 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 we're good uh, <laughs> let's go with this is a positive podcast uh, yes PP. and i love him by the way nothing but love we, for him you're just gonna have to, you're gonna have to edit that whole part out i'm sorry nope leaving it yep so battle kid uh, along with great graphics and great gameplay, has some of some just awesome music as we've already discussed. Uh, yes, thirty-two tracks in this game. Some of them are some of those thirty-two are you know the opening sequence or the death sequence yeah, or the death music, whatever else. Some of them back into back in two thousand two, and we would like to play one of those pieces because uh, the this music, even though it's almost you know, a decade, eh, close to a decade before the game came out, still influenced it and found a place within it. Uh, so which one are you going to play? Uh, I think uh, the Spire one. Uh, Upside Down Spire. Skyward? Oh, Flooded Spire. Flooded Spire. <laughs> I knew it was something weird. All right. Let's check it out.
that was that was nice upside down pineapple spire what is that called <laughs> that's not what that's called flooded spire um that the is flooded called spire. the flooded originally spire. the parts of that were written in 2002 uh kevin was ager and now a current master uh, so he's gonna sort of guide us through what that song <laughs> consists of i guess i don't know music theory and i mean this song in particular maybe isn't uh as much as you know what I wanted to talk about as far as the themes that sort of uh, flow throughout some of his songs in this game, what I think makes him sort of brilliant in his songwriting. um, There are a lot of games where they have different music for different parts of the game and, and all the music's great and that's great, but he actually has melodic themes that he has sort of strung through all of these songs and maybe not all of them, but um, it's almost like when you're composing for a film, um, you know, for star Wars, John Williams came up with themes for Leia and Luke and Darth Vader. Um, So you would sort of hear little tidbits, you know, when they would be on screen or whatever. Um, Jordan actually came up with a melody, you know, for this game. And I don't know if he actually, you know, calls it anything special, but he puts this same melody in various ways in over four or five of these songs. And if you're not listening, you might not, you know, tell, but who cares? Like the fact that he took the time to think that far ahead and that ambitious to like, he was on the level of a film composer when he composed the music for this game. And I think that deserves recognition um and it can't be discounted i mean it's it's amazing amazing stuff and all of this kind of comes together to create battle kid which has had more or less the most lasting influence of any homebrew to date in terms of its impact in the community its importance for other people its importance for gamers kind of seen it all with this one love it or hate it do you do you happen to know any sales numbers on it? Like you how how many it's sold? Don't know if I'm allowed to tell them. Okay. Do you, you might have to edit that out. Can you well. say it's north of a certain number? I I can say it is time, ten times the some of the best selling homebrews. Okay, I think that puts it into perspective to where I wanted to go. So like, I mean, you have Battle the Kid, sales numbers speak for itself. You have Battle Kid One, you have Battle Kid Two, and then about. A tenth of that, you have the next best-selling homebrew. And can you can you really get into why it sold as well as it did? I mean, it doesn't seem like marketing-wise he did anything different than any of the rest of us did. Well, other than being the first platformer, uh, one of the big things I think is the title. If you if you look at the title and you look at a couple screenshots, what you see you see Mega Man. You don't see any Battle Kid mega man there's that kind of play back and forth there you buy it and you think you're buying something that you're not you're not buying an i want to be or you don't think you're buying an i want to be the guy nes adaptation what you think you're buying is the next mega man and he was clearly influenced by mega man i mean you can see some of the the disappearing ice blocks type, you know, stuff like that. Oh, he owns up to that very first thing. I mean, that's the thing is it's, it's, I want to be the guy, but it's with all of the influences of a hardcore NES gamer. So you have Mega Man, you have Mario, you have all these games kind of 
that. But yet, when you if you just take it at face value, you just look at the title, you just look at a couple screenshots, you don't quite realize what you're buying until you put it in and either love it or hate it. So I like Mega Man, mm-hmm. but I don't know if... I mean, I want to like it. And that's the thing that I hate about this game is I want to like it so much, and I just die every time. Every time. Well, even if you ne- don't necessarily like it, you can easily appreciate why it's as good as it is always yes oh it is a good game and it's professional i mean it's this is on the level of licensed stuff actually probably the top tier the top 25 top tier 15 percent of the licensed library is this better than jaws yes yes it is yes (laughs) is it better than (laughs) sure is it better than yonoid well maybe is it better than Mario? Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, may, to some, it might be. I mean, and if it's able to, an argument could be made. If it's able to be that to at least not even somebody, but quite a few people, you've done something very well. And I think I think he really did with yeah. Battle Kid. It was released in a couple versions. There was a glitch that was left in in the very first release. So the first batch that went out was 1.0, and it has a special invisibility glitch that you can sort of access. That was the, I want to say it was there for the beta testers, but I didn't re-verify that because I don't have 1.0 yet. So I'm missing that. And there were also a couple limited editions. Uh, there were 33 copies, I want to say, of a limited edition that came in a bit box and it had you know a different insert and titles numbered on the title screen, yeah, or on the label, one or both of the two. And then the were those here. sold outright or were they auctioned? Uh, I think they were They were mostly given to testers. Uh, most limited editions have been given to testers. And then in recent years, some extras have been sold off. Still, I think they're primarily built for testers for the most. Most of us do. I know I do. Uh, 20 to 22 of mine go to testers. And then I take another 8 to 10 and give them to or I sell them off to you know, supporters, people that want in but didn't want to put in the hundreds of hours that it takes even for a simple game for testing. Uh, but I also took right. you as the example for limited editions and not Jordan. So <laughs> there is that. <laughs> so if someone wanted to buy Battle Kid today, where would they go? They would go to eBay and pay thousands of dollars. No, they would go to RetroUSB.com. <laughs> it has been available for seven years almost. It is still available. I think the price is still the same, and shipping might have even gone down. I saw some early shipping complaints that it was like $12. Uh, of course, that was to Canada. Oh, Canada, really? So, Canada, so good luck with that. Yeah, it looks like the price is thirty six dollars right oh, now. Oh, he went up a dollar in seven years. He might have gone up six dollars oh, in that seven years. Punk. <laughs> Brian is a good friend, but uh, yeah, his business practices yeah. are just—he's a good friend. Nice. <laughs> you'll see on that label, you'll see a seal of quality. You will see the one You'll see the years two thousand eight to two thousand ten, and then uh, purchase at RetroZone, RetroUSB.com. But it was originally a you know a RetroZone game. But if you Google image search that, you will get porno sites, uh, old vintage porn. So don't image search RetroZone. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Yeah, just go to RetroUSB.com. That's always fun when you're trying to do research. And yeah, that's Battle Kid. Yeah, he gets sidetracked. No. With that, vintage porn. That's that's not where I was going with that. 
that's exactly how I wanted to end our segment on Battle Kid. About I want it comes porn. in a green shell, and we'll move on now. <laughs> oh, and should we say that Battle Kid sold so well that when he decided to do a sequel, Brian gave him permission to come up with any color he wanted for the shell he did. for the sequel. Battle Kid Two has three hits instead of one hit deaths, which for me personally is very, very generous. I cannot. cannot it comes in teal, but okay. All right. So what are, should we talk about what we're up to now or what do you want to do now? Yeah. Uh, as much as this is a conversation about what other people have done, I also, you know, if, if people want we're up to and what's currently getting us up in the morning and making us stay up late at night, let's go for it. What are you working on? Well, what's awesome is since this is our podcast, we can talk about it whether they want to hear it or actually, not. Actually, what's awesome about this is I can just self-promote myself to no end and not actually engage in facts at all. <laughs> all right. So what I'm up to, um, I've been taking a break since I came out with Scramble um, at the first of the year. And this happens every time I release a game. Um it just takes so much energy day after day to put out a game. Like when it's finally released, it's sort of this like euphoric moment. And I'm just like spent. I just sit there like in a daze because I can't bring myself to sort of get back on the wagon. Um, this is your tenth but I did. Yeah. This, my next game will be 10 Ooh. for sure. Pearl which is that's, it's ridiculous. Ten. Um, and not all of them have been good games. I mean, let's be no, honest, but um, it's still. What's that? We'll talk about Sneak and Peek a different episode. <laughs> oh, Sneak and Peek. Uh, I still get messages from people wanting to buy it, though. So there's something to be said about that. Um, but what I've always wanted, well, not always, but what I've had to desire to do um, for maybe since I released Larry, I wanted to do an original sequel for the game. Um, there's been a lot of Leisure Suit Larry games that have come out, you know, in the past. Um, and it, it definitely went in some unique directions, but I always thought, you know, what if, if I had the chance to do a part two, what direction would I want to take it in? Um, and of course in the past I've been, you know, a little, flippant about using other people's intellectual properties and sort of, you know, doing what I want to do because I want to do it. Um, so there's going to be some changes that I'm going to make so I can, you know, release it to where I don't have to wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, wondering if I'm going to get sued. Um, but it's still a nice starting point to think, you know, wh what is Larry going to do? You know, at the end of the first game, he, he meets the girl in the hot tub and, and what happens, you know, where does it go from there? So I've, I've written out what I think is a pretty good story. Um, and I've sent it to you and, and a couple other people just to sort of get some immediate feedback on, you know, first impressions. Um, but I think I'm happy with the story and I've, I've wanted to bring a graphics guy on, but it's it's just so much easier doing things yourself you can work on your own pace you're not waiting for someone to turn in you know work um so I've, I've started doing the graphics myself and it's it's a really slow process and i gotta be honest it, it's hard to find motivation a lot of time 
Um, but that's what I'm working on right now. Sort of mapping out the first, uh, the first level level. I let's just call it chapters mapping out the first chapter. Um, I have a couple screens drawn, but it's, it's tough sort of finding source material and, and getting it exactly how I want to get it. So, uh, it's going to be a while. Um, and who knows if it's ever going to be finished, but, uh, at least right now, that's what I'm working Jim, on. Well, just to put that in perspective, they're very, they are very good, but you first posted a private thread on November 2nd, 2014, which was pretty much almost before you released Larry, uh, talking about Larry 2, what you would do if you could sort of create your own sequel, which is different. It's different than what it was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, back then I, I, I wanted to do sort of a same game from a different perspective kind of thing. Um, Cause I always like when, when shows or movies sort of replay the same events from different perspectives. I think that they're, there's something to be said for the familiarity of different environments and, and seeing things um, from maybe a different point of view. But uh, that idea sort of fizzled out because I, I want to say I'm not the most creative person, um, but I think I can be when I need to be. Um, but that idea didn't quite uh, take my inspiration where I needed it to like this new idea did. Well, that's one of the beautiful things about the homebrew scene is you make what inspires boards or companies or anybody overseeing what you're doing. You just make what comes to mind and make make the things you're passionate about. And it's, it's funny you say that because when I was first starting out um, for the first few projects, I would... I would immediately go make a thread about it on Nintendo age and try to gauge people's interest and, and their ideas and things. And people were very quick to say, man, why are you doing it this way? Like, why don't you do this? So why don't you add this? And it's like, you know, maybe I don't want people to know what I'm doing <laughs> because I want to do what I want to do. Like as selfish as that sounds like, you know, I, I think for all of us, we have a, an idea in our head that we we just need to get out you know in whatever creative way we can so um ever since i want to say maybe i don't even think larry I, I announced too early like for the past few projects i've tried to keep what i'm working on close to the chest so um when it finally is time to reveal it um it's mostly done and people can take their ideas and shove it <laughs> which is funny because as much as you say that i know that both you and i also listen to good feedback that understands the spirit of what we're doing well that's the hardest thing though and and these days i think people have a better idea Some. of what the limitations are of what we can do and, and stuff but back then i mean it, it was just so frustrating for people to come out and say they wanted this and they wanted that and it's like you know what if you want that learn how to do it and do well, it yourself. I remember when Rob announced The Mad Wizard, which The Mad Wizard is a game where you don't jump, you levitate. Some of the first comments back were like, well, you should make it so you can jump. Well, that breaks the whole central gameplay mechanic. You can't just... Like, if you're not going right. to get into the spirit of the game, you're not really offering constructive feedback. And so we've... I think nowadays, though, most of the people that we talk with understand that. Um, yeah, and it's funny because there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of jokes and talk about about there being sort of an inner circle, um, and to be honest, I mean after you've done this 
sort of routine to where you start a game and you you start programming a game and you bring people in like there there definitely are certain people that you start going back to you know time after time and and an inner circle kind of really does develop yeah, kind of but like when i was doing spookatron which was the game that i just did on kickstarter and it was well, it started last march so like a year and a few months ago and I used one of my old testers, uh, Matt Bepp. He he just did, has done wonderful feedback and criticism and advice. And then I brought on a couple new people that I'd met. Uh, oh, I'm going to butcher her username. But uh, Ukurisu. <laughs> and also, Tanya. Yeah, Tanya. And uh, <laughs> I brought on a guy named Jason uh, Fleck who both of them had never beta tested before and they were just they were people that had given me just a lot of support over the years just uh, encouragement or and I knew they were interested they actually cared so I brought them on and instantly uh, Tanya was like well you should have it so you can build walls and I was like no I don't want to build walls <laughs> like that's that's not the game <laughs> I made I didn't make it I made uh, it's a Spookatron's a Robotron clone there are no walls in Robotron She's like, no, but you need walls. Right. And I was like, I really put going to be, I'm not putting in walls. And so eventually she got to me and I added in blocks so you could run into blocks. Now they weren't true walls. They were like enemies that just didn't move and looked like blocks, but it was enough. She could build little tiny mazes and she could do all sorts of stuff. And it was something that I really didn't want to do, but she understood what I wanted to do. She just also understood how to make it a lot better. And so because of that, we have blocks. And Fleck also had some similar inputs, and James Robot as well. Uh, all three of them, plus Matt, of course, uh, all four of them were, were sort of my testing team. And so it is, you do use old people, but you also take in new people because they have new ideas, and you never know like what's going to be useful. You can love your game all day long, but if it's not fun, then what good is it? Yeah, and it's funny because when you're in the middle of working on it, you you, you aren't really able to sort of step back and see is this fun um so you need fresh eyes to come in and look at it you mostly look at it in terms of uh geez that's going to be a lot of work or i did not build it to work like that it's a full rewrite <laughs> right uh, scramble has two player achievements right uh yes it does actually oh you put that in i that was just something i suggested and i thought you told me to go to hell uh, well, that is a common phrase that comes out of my mouth, but, uh, <laughs> I think there is an achievement in Scramble for, um, two players, uh, getting, uh, you know, reaching some sort of score threshold. Yes. See influence right there. I didn't even know it because I can't find a second player that to play Scramble with, but <laughs> my wife is good at two games. So that's it let's uh if if someone let's say that there's someone listening to this who has never beta tested anything and maybe they're interested in in learning more and maybe trying to beta test uh for you know either us or or a home brewer out there what should they do uh my own pathway to that because i used to i used to wonder about that and it was you know, I'd sit there, I'd see these these beta tests being done, and was like, how do I get into that? I just don't get it. And so when Frank posted his public ROM, I just sort of took it and played it and gave him feedback, and that was it. We often, most people post public ROMs. It's not hard to 
start getting involved with the scene. I mean, I have a list of people already that, and I took the time to make an extensive application that people can find online somewhere if they're savvy enough. And it just asks basic things like, do you actually like playing games? And a week to the time, a week to the time, a week to this. It, it's not a job. It's just, you know, if I've had more than one tester who has started and they get about two days in and they just check out and they never tell me what happened to them and they just disappear and they have all of my and that happens a lot um but you're saying they should make an account on nintendoage.com sort of familiarize themselves with the forums and keep an eye out uh in the brewery uh for people announcing projects yeah we're a very welcoming community across the homebrew scene as a whole but especially on nintendo age we post a lot of our stuff. You can come check it out. You can come be involved in the conversation. If you think this or that should be different, you know, give your input. Uh, please do it in a respectful and intelligent way. Otherwise, you're not going to, you know, if you show up and you're like, this game sucks. I think it could be better if you did this. And it's like, ah, I don't know if I need that kind of input. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I get a little tired of that. I have enough people telling me it sucks. I don't need somebody who actually wants to play it to tell me that as well. Uh, tell us why. Give us feedback. That's all. So if you're interested in learning about NES Homebrew, um, we've mentioned it before, there's a very good series of tutorials on NintendoAge.com that were made by Brian Parker of RetroUSB.com called Nerdy Nights, and that uh, breaks down sort of different lessons um, structurally so you can sort of take it little by little, learning a little at a time. Uh, and there are a lot of us there who will be happy to answer any programming questions you have. Um, so yeah, if you have any interest in this at all, you know, feel free to come hang out, uh, join us, and uh, just you know, start talking. We'd love to hear from you. And that's what it is. It's it's mostly us just hanging out, chatting, and making games. Like there's not a whole lot else that goes into it. There's a heated conversation here and there, but uh, on the whole, <laughs> we're just sorry. That's perhaps too time but uh you know on the whole we just we like people uh we like games we like to talk about games and the nerdy nights are great too they'll what what is that sorry that's my dog trying to be on a podcast uh well he is his name is bean which is very close success in my name but we won't get into that just flip that in upside down um Oh, after the Nerdy Knights, the Nerdy Knights will teach you to make Pong, and after that, ask him when and ask him what to do from there. Yes, and then I don't reply to you for months on end, and then you continue to send follow-up questions uh, until I finally give in. That's exactly what I did. Let's be young again. Okay, so let's uh are there any releases coming up that people should be aware about Uh, so there's actually been so battle kid was a great platformer as we spoke about there is a new platformer that started and it's called twin dragons it was done by Mm, good one done by a french team called broke studio which i feel like it should be like broke studios or broken studio but it's broke studio uh, and it's uh, Antoine, uh, goes by the username Glutalk, super nice guy, uh, just easy to talk to. Yes. Uh, he's got, he even went a step further and has a fun picture of himself as his avatar where he's smiling. Most of us don't give you that. But he <laughs> little hat on, nice when you, really nice when you, when you talk to him, and he's very supportive of the scene. He yeah. hasn't posted a lot. 
And then a guy named Cert did the art, and another guy has done the music, and the three of them decided after the Twin Dragons demo won the Nest Dev competition for 2016, came in number one, they decided to form a little group, and they are now putting out some games together, and this is their first one. It's a full version of the demo that won the competition. Uh, you play as a dragon, uh, and he fireballs, and it is fun platforming like you would expect. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because he was uh, he posted sort of progress reports on Nintendo Age as the game was being developed, um, and I recognized right away that that there was something special about this game. So um, I think that in ten years, uh, when we're looking back at uh, sort of games of substance uh that have staying power uh, i think twin dragons is very much going to be part of that conversation very much uh, the certs it's funny though that the art for it existed before there was a game for it cert had posted on nestev just some art for game like mock-up art for different games that he'd sort of had in mind but he wasn't doing any of the programming for and so antoine then i think took that art and used it for his game and they you know have gone from there i gotta look into a bit of that more but i think that's the general uh, flow of how that went. It reminds me a lot of Mario 2 with just the vibrant colors and the cactus, of course. Yep. Uh, the cactuses and the <laughs> kind of it's some sort of like centipede thing. Is the, I can't get past the second boss. It drives me crazy, even with an emulator. Uh, but there's that. And Do you get more frustrated with that than Battle Kid? No, because I feel like there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> this I could chalk, there's the difference i could chalk up to playing twin dragons on a keyboard as the reason why i wasn't doing so good i hope anyways. yeah i don't think you could play battle kid with a keyboard no, no way red people doing that i wanted to break this thing in half and it was like yeah that's about right that's about what i feel with a, a controller uh, anyway what else uh what else there's uh i it's like the year of kickstarters already but there was just there's one that's about to end like the next day or two which i'm sure will be after this is actually aired uh called eskimo bob it is done by a fellow who did flash cartoons uh, they remind me of like a canadian strong bad which i never watched but i saw a couple scenes of and it's sort yeah, of a, that's a pretty close description is it oh good um i love canadian humor i think it's just the quirkiest off-ball thing we lived up there a couple years ago they had the show called corner gas which i just found very charming about a gas station in the middle of nowhere and that was the whole show like they were just in a gas station but these these flash comics that uh <laughs> they used an nes style now there was no game to go with them but they were just done as if they were an nes game and it starred eskimo bob and alfonso and alfonso would poke a walrus with a stick and eskimo bob would do things and i don't know they were just kind of like short and goofy and then 10 years or no more than that quite a number of years later now he decided to go ahead and make an actual game to go with that and so the graphic ad for the nes when you see them on a system you're like geez couldn't clean this up a little bit but he's not because that is the graphics that were used in the show so he, there were some people that were criticizing it and it was like no no you're missing the point like this is why it exists yeah and i got a lot of that with study hall um because i i tried to develop it to look like you know, stick figures on a sheet of paper. Um, and if, you know, when you're just looking at something, you know, without knowing um, and judging its artistic merit, it's uh, 
you get a lot of flack for stuff like that. So I totally uh, I feel his pain. Yeah, you have to take that inner aesthetic in. And so with Eskimo Bob, though, it look it's a scrolling platformer of sorts, but it's actually a puzzle game. You have to solve a puzzle on each level, but it'll scroll back and forth, and it's it's very well done. Uh, both of these guys, uh, Antoine with uh, Twin Dragons, and he's not the only one with Twin Dragons. Uh, there's the other two. He has posted over the last couple of years different demos. He had like a scrolling demo, or he had some uh, it's a very off-ball uh, tattoo RPG. And I don't, it took me going back. <laughs> would you call that a TRPG? Yeah, yeah that would be a TRPG. And it took me looking back through his posts to realize all that he'd done because he would pop in, post about something, and then disappear for like three months. But he was working that whole time. But uh, with Twin Dragons, he just sort of like popped out of the blue and was like, here's a whole game. And same with Tomas with Eskimo Bob. It's like, hey, here's a whole game. And like these guys had never really posted before. And that's awesome because they're new people to the community that I think will be around for years to come. And we didn't ask for and we didn't expect. And they're just here. And we get to enjoy all their work without all the pain of watching them grow. No, I'm kidding. We like watching that pain. That pain <laughs> is good. And I think uh, there's something to be said um, about, you know, more and more new people joining and releasing games. Because, you know, as as, as old and, and secluded and closed-minded as I want to be... Um, <laughs> if if more new people didn't start showing up i would be playing the same types of games you know year after year but but what's great about homebrewers is they're making projects they want to make and they are definitely not projects typically that any other homebrewer would want to make so you really get some amazingly diverse uh content coming out um and eskimo bob definitely uh, fits that mold yeah it's it's nothing it's not like anything else anybody's made since and probably won't make again and Kev- kevin mentions and that's awesome. Back earlier days before 2014, so pretty much from 2007 to 2012 or 13, there was only like two, maybe three, maybe four releases a year. And then in 2014, we saw like 20 releases. In 2015, we saw like 25 releases. And 2016 was eh, about the same. Hasn't really gone above that, but what we've seen is some of the older folk uh, kind of went their way, and you know they made their dream, they made their game, and they got busy with life. They had kids, they got a new job, they moved, whatever. But then some new people have just shown up out of the blue, and it's kept it alive, it's kept it going, and that's why I don't think people say things like, "Oh, the homebrew scene's done," like we've we've hit it all. Battle Kid was 2010, you know, where have you gone since then? But it's still about people realizing their dreams and just making what they want to make and the releases are getting even better if you look close enough maybe not as popular but definitely more polished and then with other recent projects i guess a major one that we have not mentioned is called tailgate party and we are going oh yeah yeah it's it's huge it's phenomenal it's creative uh uses peripherals and we are going to talk about it next time so (laughs) just to tease you yeah uh, I think it almost needs it uh, to be the featured game. It's that creative. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because uh, there are some games that are starting to come out that are using those uh, old peripherals in ways that maybe they weren't intended to be used, you know. Um, so it's it's very awesome to uh, to see people be creative with that stuff. So I can't wait to get into to talk about that game. And, uh, oh, and we're gonna, the fellow who did our 
uh, intro song, our little jingle, is called Zai, Thomas Ragonet. He has been an influential yes. chiptune Thank musician you, for the last decade and more. Uh, he has done the music for Kevin, you know better than I do. Uh, <laughs> well, on my personal projects, I know he's done The Incident um, and is going to be doing the music for Isolation uh, when it's done. Um, but he's released, I think, four uh, albums of his own now. The last most recent one being named actually four. Um, or album six, not four. He likes to be confusing. <laughs> but it's the fourth physical oh, release, yeah, right? to make it even worse, isn't it? Yeah, Thornberry. Okay. Let, let... <laughs> I'm missing one. Yeah. But thank you, Tom. Yeah, he's done a, you might recognize his music from yeah. a lot of the 8-bit Christmas 2013, or not 2013s, but his Christmases, including 2013. I think 2013's when he took over from me. Oh, is it? Oh, well, okay. Yeah. So, that would make well done. Worth that of slip of the tongue. Four years worth of releases. Anyways, he's a very good musician. Yeah. Uh, his most recent album is called Four, even though it's his sixth. And the song that we are going to sort of play to send you off with is called Floating. Uh, it was written, and it's about his experiences of floating in L.A. <laughs> all right. Well, we look forward to seeing you all next time. Thanks, guys. Take it away, Tommy. <laughs>